Thank you for coming this morning. I think I've told this story. I'm not sure if I told it to our small group or if I preached it. But I'm going to go ahead and say it again in case I didn't. Um, at my, in my house growing up, I, I had an awesome childhood, and Christmas was awesome. Um, my parents always put on a big to-do, I think, as parents, most parents do. Um, the, you know, the, the whole nine yards. I mean, Mom, Christmas morning, you know, we all came down. Mom made coffee and hot chocolate, and we end up eating something at somebody's house or at our house. And uh, we ate, we opened up all the presents. You know, we did, we did Santa up to a certain age. I don't remember what it was. And it wasn't a big thing. We just, I'm not going to go any further in case there's not. But I'm, um, Santa, Santa was Santa. Um, but I remember it, it always happened the same way every Christmas. Um, Christmas came, we came down, we went nuts at what, Santa gave us, and then we just, we tore the place up, and then worried about mom and dad later. And I remember my mom, this happened when I was in high school, I don't remember what year precisely, but I remember it vividly. Mom stopped everything we were doing, and she says, we're going to read the Bible first. And I went, for real? She said, yes, we are. She got out her King James Version. I corrected her later about that. And she said, um, yes, we're going to read out of Luke 1. And me and my brother are just like, all right, going to read out of, you know, sure. Okay, can't argue with that. But I remember it vi- vividly because, one, we just never did that. And two, it, it disrupted our normal routine, which was Christmas morning was about who? Me. And I'm so glad that, I, that mom did that. As a matter of fact, I've told her about half a dozen times since then that I'm thankful that my mother had the courage to do that because what my mother was saying was, no, 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 no. Before we do this, before Christmas is about being thankful for what you got, Christmas is first about worship. And we're going to worship God the right way. This is through His Word. And I still remember that to this day, and I'm going to do it with my kids. And then we ripped up the presents. Um, Christmas is worship, y'all. It's not just a holiday. Hallmark didn't invent it. God did. It has heavy theological significance. The incarnation, the enfleshing of God, the birth of Jesus Christ should evoke our worship. It should cause us to go to the Word. It should bring me, a sinner saved by grace, to go to His Word first and to the present second. This is the gift. This morning we're going to read a passage of Scripture that is traditionally known as the Magnificat. From Kentucky, I'm always kind of sensitive whether I'm pronouncing things right. I think that's how you pronounce it, the Magnificat. It comes from the Latin In our passage this morning, Mary is praising God for choosing her to bear His Son. Elizabeth's going to have John. She's overwhelmed, and her response is the most natural, spiritual response that we can expect from someone who has been shown so much grace. She just lets out praise. 
Magnificat is Latin for magnify because in verse 46 she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. And that's the title of the sermon this morning. So if you'll turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56, we're going to look at what it means to worship on Christmas. And we're going to take our cues from Mary. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. And then you, if you found it, please stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to make y'all do like Trisha Todd did. Stand up, we're going to read it. And the Holy Spirit through Luke says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months, Elizabeth, and returned to her home. Let's pray. Father, show us this morning what it means to magnify the Lord. You are worthy of our praise. And by your Holy Spirit, we don't give it begrudgingly. We, we rejoice in you, as Mary did. Father, through your word this morning, let your Spirit speak so that we too might sing songs of praise. And all these things we ask in your Son's name. Amen. You can be seated. What we just read is pure doxology. Pure praise. Pure worship. Pure veneration. Mary's joy isn't simply that she's pregnant or that Elizabeth's pregnant. Mary's joy is in God. The Greek word megalune in verse 46 means to exalt, glorify, magnify, or speak highly of. John Piper has a wonderful illustration of the word magnify. And I'm going to steal it. He says there's two kinds of magnifying in the way that we understand that word today, at least in, in English. There's a microscope which takes small things, very, very small things, and makes them larger than they really are. And then there's a telescope, which takes very, very, very large things that are far away and makes them appear more as they really are. That is, the what, that is exactly what we do when we worship. That's what Mary is doing. She's saying, God, you're unsearchable, you're vast, you are transcendent, you are so high above me, but I want to lift you up and, um, and make you appear as you really are. 
My goal for my life, my goal for Abi Todd's life is that God would appear as glorious and as good and as righteous as he really is. Now the problem with that is what often happens is that God diminishes and Abi appears bigger and more holy than he really is. So the theme of this passage this morning is the only proper response to God's mighty work in our lives is to humbly and joyfully magnify His name. The only proper response to God's mighty works in our sinful lives is to humbly and joyfully magnify His name. Let's read verses 46 and 47. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. There are two verbs in that little excerpt. Magnify and rejoice. By rejoicing in God, Mary is magnifying God. If Mary didn't find her joy in her Savior, she wouldn't be worshiping her Savior. We know how much Mary loves and worships God by how much joy she finds in Him. So Sarah in the Old Testament laughed at God when He told her that she was going to have a son. But Mary is magnifying God. Kelly and I have encountered countless women in our marriage who have not been able to get pregnant and it's incredibly painful and there's so much hurt and there's so much confusion. They can feel alone. They can feel impatient. They can feel like God has forgotten them. And Kelly and I have often prayed and continue to pray for these women. And one of the things I pray for is that these women continue to find their joy in God in their suffering. And I pray that God would actually increase their joy in Jesus through their pain. Because there are many ways to have a child today. Some more ethical than others. You can do the medical route. You can do in vitro. You can, do a, you, can, you can adopt. If a woman wants a child today, not always, but more often than not, they can have a child. The question is, by the time they get a child, will they magnify their pregnancy or will they magnify God? Will they magnify the child or will they magnify the Creator? Will their ultimate joy be in their family or will their ultimate joy be in Jesus? It's very possible for you to get what you want and for Satan to get what he wants too. I'm going to say that one more time because I wrote it down. I was kind of intrigued when I said it and came up with it. It's very possible for you to get what you want and for Satan to also get what he wants. That has happened uh, dozens of times in my life because I wanted the wrong thing. And what Satan wants is for you to love created things Instead of the Creator. That's why Mary's song of praise is so magnificent. The work that God is doing in Mary's heart, in giving her a desire and a joy for God, is no less miraculous than what He's doing in her womb. He takes nothing and He makes something. This is is what God does. Put up that graphic real quick, Chris, if you could. This is what God does throughout the entire Bible. I think I gave a little, maybe I didn't. Uh, It should be four things. Nope, didn't do it. Okay. God God spoke into a void in nothing and created the world and the universe. God spoke into Sarah's barren womb and he made Isaac. God spoke into the Virgin Mary and he placed his son Jesus in her tummy. And God speaks into the dead hearts of sinners and puts His Holy Spirit there so that people can worship God and not themselves. This is what God does. 
What I just said, those four things, I really want us at Haynes Creek to understand that those, all four of those, are the same thing. And God gets glory from it, taking nothing and making something. The best question to ask on Christmas is not, are you thankful for what you have? The best question to ask is, are you magnifying Jesus and rejoicing in Jesus with what you have? See, when my mom stopped us on Christmas morning, I was thanking God. Yeah, I thanked Him right after I got what I wanted. There's a difference between thanking, being thankful, and worshiping. I think our culture is fine with people being thankful. But you throw out the word worship in public, they're like, whoa, who's worshiping what? What mom was saying was, stop. We're not just going to be thankful. We're going to be God worshipers. Mary was a God worshiper. Look at verses 48 and 49. For he has looked on the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. You know, Mary's song is starting to sound a lot like two famous prayers in the Bible. One, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus also prays, hallowed be thy name. But I think her, her, Mary's song is a lot like Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2. This is what Hannah says after God gives her a son named Samuel. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Mary's song kind of goes like this. I praise you, God. I rejoice in you, God. You've blessed me, God. You are mighty God. You are holy God. <laughs> Do your prayers sound like that? Our prayers should sound like that. I'm going to say it one more time. I praise you, God. I rejoice in you, God. You've blessed me, God. You are mighty God. You are holy God. I mean, it's almost as if she's saying more about God than her. I don't think that's by accident. And then for the rest of the song, Mary really just spends most of her song recounting things that God has done. He has shown strength in His arm. He's scattered the proud. He's brought down the mighty. He's exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry. He's sent away the rich. He's helped Israel. God is magnified by the Christian with a good memory of the things He's done. We are called to have a good memory of all the things God has done in our lives. Don't forget them. Raise your hand if when you pray, raise your hand, if when you pray, you recall the things that God has done in your life and you praise Him for it. Raise your hand. And the reason I ask that, good, keep doing it, um, is when I pray, sometimes I like to get to the thing I need, which is good. Pray those things. You ask not, you have not because you ask not. I hope you're praying for things like wisdom, too. My point is, are we praying God just for the things we need? Or are we praying to God to just tell Him how awesome He is? Listen to Mary's song. She rejoices in Him. Her soul magnifies Him. Holy is His name. She wants God to be exalted, to magnify. She's bringing Him up close and saying, Whoa, God, you're amazing. Psalm 105.5 says, Remember the wondrous works of the Lord. Nearly every Old Testament prayer is recalling a deed that the Lord has done. 
God's people remember the works of God. I don't know if y'all's marriages are like this, but when Kelly and I are dealing with a problem, as we have been lately, the other one of us, depending on who's going through the problem, the other, it, it usually, almost always goes like this. One of us is like kind of down in the dumps, and then the other one kicks into memory mode and goes, hey, it's okay. Remember, we've been through this before. God's gotten us through this before. Remember how faithful God has been before. We always do that. The other one comes in and reminds them, reminds the other person who's down about who God is and what He does. Marriages should run on that. God is magnified when we recall His wondrous deeds and when we rejoice in His faithfulness. I'm speaking to the fathers and the husbands right now. Listen to me. That's your job as the head of household. I think we spend so much time looking to the future that we can forget to actually recall the good things that God has done. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Men are called, especially women as well, But if you're going to lead a home, you better have a good gospel memory. Because we are a fickle, stiff-necked, forgetting people. I mean, if you want to, if you want to realize, if you want to really want to see that, just read the Old Testament. Here's the Old Testament in synopsis. Remember what I've done. Remember what I've done. I'm going to take care of it. Remember what I've done. Remember what I've done. I'm going to take care of it. Luke 1. Mary didn't forget. You know, just to, just to confess something this morning, I, I just want to kind of be up front. I always try to, when I hammer y'all and tell you how much of a sinner you are, I generally like to throw myself in there, so I'm going to do it now. Revelation says that Satan is the accuser. And I believe that one of the ways that Satan accuses me most is through prayer. And he does it really imperceptibly. I mean, he does it real subtly. And he takes my sin, and instead of recalling what God has done, I start to recall my sin. And here, here's, here's kind of how it happens. Sometimes when I come to God in prayer, and I know I haven't prayed in a while, or as much as I should have, and I haven't praised Him, I haven't thanked Him for His grace, I haven't been walking in obedience. I haven't been coming to Him and daily speaking to Him constantly in prayer. I know I haven't been doing that. I'll think to myself, man, I'm really not worthy to pray. Anybody else think like that? That's where Satan gets me a lot. Because I'll, I'll, I'll come to Him and I need something, I'll pray, and then, and, and, and then I, I, my flesh will go, Bobby, you're such a hypocrite. You only come to Him when you want Him. And Satan starts accusing me. He'll go, who do you think you are asking God for things? You haven't even been coming to Him and magnifying His name. Oh, you want to magnify Him now? Who do you think you are? Why do you think God would honor your prayer when you've neglected Him? Satan shoots his darts at me. And so instead of confessing my sin, instead of asking Him for His grace, instead of praising Him for how good He is, I will draw back my prayer because I feel like an inadequate Christian. I don't think I'm the only one like that. That is the opposite of Christianity. That is not faith. That is not why Jesus died. That is the opposite of God's will, and that is precisely what Satan loves. Satan would rather you withdraw from God because you feel like a hypocrite than to come to Him and pray and confess your sin and praise Him for His faithfulness. 
Satan would rather you recall your sin and run away than recall the wondrous deeds of the Lord and praise Him. We magnify Jesus the most when we lay our sin at the foot of Jesus and we trust in Him to heal us, not run away. Repentance is continually acknowledging our guilt before God and continually recalling the gospel. And we do that by the word. A family that worships God without the word, this is why I'm thankful for my mother and her ministry to my family. A, A family that worships God without the word is not worshiping God so much as thanking Him when it's convenient. I'm going to put that up again. I don't even know if I put it on. Man, I really did a bad job with these. Uh... Oh, okay, all right, missed it. I'm going to say that one more time because I was really convicted. A family that worships God without His Word is not worshiping God so much as thanking Him when it's convenient. You better believe I was thankful when I got my presents. You better believe I was thankful when God gave me a house. You better believe I was thankful when I got a job. It is really easy to be thankful when people give you things. Worshiping God is not just worshiping God for what He's done. Worshiping God is worshiping God for who He is. As usual, Martin Luther said it better than I ever could. And this is the sum of the matter. Please tell me I put that up. Okay, there it is. Let everything be done so that the word may have free course instead of the prattling and rattling that has been the rule up to now. We can spare everything except the word. Again, they're excited. Again, we profit by nothing as much as by the word, for the whole scripture shows that the word should have free course among Christians. And in Luke 10, Christ himself says, One thing is needful that Mary sit at the feet of Christ and hear His Word daily. This is the best part to choose, and it shall not be taken away forever. It is an eternal Word. Everything else must pass away, no matter how much care and trouble it may give Martha. So whether in heaven in our earth, God's people are doing the very same thing, worshiping God by His Word. I think Christmas is an, exa- is an excellent example of how inexhaustible the Word is. And here's my point. We do the very same thing every Christmas. We come here, we gather together, we sing the very same songs, and we read the very same story, and it never changes. And then we're going to come back next year, if the Lord hadn't returned, and we're going to read it again. And it's never going to get old. Because we're worshiping God. I got friends that watch ESPN Classic all the time. I cannot for the life of me watch that, that channel. It's already been played. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of it's y'all. I know it is. Just raise your hand if you watch it. Go ahead. But, you watch, but you're watching the games that what? The teams that you like won. Or it was a good game. Let me tell you, let me tell you this. If you can watch ESPN Classic, you can read this book. Because you can come back to God's Word and it's inexhaustible. It will never get old. It is a play-by-play of God's story redeeming His people. And this is your story. Mary says in verses 54 through 55, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham 
and to his offspring forever. So Mary understands that this child, Jesus, is the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. This is their hope. God is honoring his covenant with Israel by sending his son. All the way back in Genesis, y'all remember when God said that he was going to make Abraham's descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and this child is going to fulfill that. In church history, Mary has traditionally been known by the name Theotokos, bearer of God or mother of God. It is a really provocative name, and some throughout church history have not liked that, because of course God doesn't have a mom. But what we need to understand is Jesus Christ is fully divine. He's fully human, but He is the Son of God. Now, this doesn't mean, as as a lot of Catholics believe, that Mary was somehow without sin or that Mary assumed into heaven upon her death. Mary was a sinner, but she conceived the Son of God. Therefore, in some sense, she is the mother of God, and that honor is not lost on her. I think what strikes me most about her song is her humility. She says, He's looked on the humble estate of His servant. He has done great things for me. His mercy is for those who fear Him. Mary is so humble, her faith is a humble faith. In some sense, I was telling uh, some folks this morning, I can almost, I mean not really, but I can almost see how Mary has been overly venerated throughout the church um, in 2,000 years because she is such an example of piety. Yes, she's magnifying the Lord, but she's only magnifying the Lord because she's making so little of herself. If there's one thing I've come to understand about myself after 32 years on this planet, it's these two things. After walking with the Lord all these years, I am, I guess in some sense, humbler than I used to be. But after walking with the Lord all these years, I see that I am much more prideful than I ever thought I was. You should have a greater view of your own sin today and think less of yourself today than when you first started walking with Jesus. If you don't, you don't believe in the gospel. The reason that God designed the gospel in the way that he did is so that you and I could see how great a sinner we really are. The reason that God designed the gospel in the way that he did, the fall of Adam, Israel breaking the law, Jesus fulfilling the law, Jesus dying on the cross, sinners believing in the gospel and not being saved by works, all of the reason that God did all of that, orchestrating human history in the way that he did, is so that he could gather a people unto themselves who think so little of themselves and think so highly of him. Therefore, please don't miss this, it is impossible to magnify God without regularly acknowledging your sin. I'm going to say that one more time. It is impossible to magnify God without regularly acknowledging your sin. And we can't regularly repent of our sin unless we acknowledge how great God is. And so the Christian life is kind of like a cycle. I am constantly coming back to how evil my heart is, how wretched I am, and how good God is. That is the Christian life. I daily dwell on those two things. How faithless I am and how faithful He is. How evil my heart is and how great God is. How insignificant I am and how wonderful the Creator is. 
Charles Spurgeon with one of my favorite quotes in the history of church history. You stand before God as if you were Christ because Christ stood before God as if He were you. That's one you need to remember. I'm going to read that again. You stand before God as if you were Christ because Christ stood before God as if He were you. That gives me chills. That is why Christmas happened. We need a righteous lawkeeper with a perfect record to impute to our account and we need a spotless lamb who's going to take the fall for us. One of the things I think was so neat about the way that God engineered the gospel is when he essentially tells Mary, you know the Son of the Most High? You know the Son of God? You know the one who sits on the throne of David? Those aren't two people. They're the same person. I want to conclude with this. According to Webster's Dictionary, the word for 2019, the word of the year, is justice. Apparently, that was the word more people tweeted, searched about, and talked about more than any other this year. Sorry, 2018. Yeah, Justice. That's what, our, that's what we're fixed about, according to the word people. We want justice for others. We want justice for ourselves. We want justice politically. We want justice socially. We want justice personally. And God said, that's good. Fight for those things. But be careful. Be careful. Because if you want real justice, if you want perfect justice, if you want my justice, you're all going to meet my wrath. Except for one. And that same one took upon himself the penalty for your sin. That same one took upon perfect justice so that you could be counted free. That same one was your substitute and His name is the God-man, Jesus Christ. Jesus was unjustly murdered so that you could be justly pardoned. Jesus endured something He didn't deserve so that you could get something you really didn't deserve. Jesus suffered as if He were guilty so that you could be rewarded as if you were really good. Friends, God is both just and the justifier of the ungodly, and He saves us through Mary's Son, Jesus Christ. We can't celebrate Christmas without dwelling and meditating and celebrating and magnifying God for the work of Christ on the cross. He was born to die. That's why we owe Him our lives. That's why we must magnify the Lord with our souls, because He has created us. And if you believe in the Gospel this morning... He will purchase you so that you can get something you don't deserve. That's grace. That's why we magnify Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we want to make much of you. We want to lift you up. We want to praise you. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. We lift your name high. We worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, you have not only shown us who you are, you have not only revealed your will for our lives, you've also shown us how you wish to be worshipped. 
And that's through Jesus, the word. That's through your spirit, the power of God. Father, give us the mind of Christ this morning. Show us the depths of our own sins so that we may begin to come to a knowledge of how truly good and beautiful Jesus is. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen.